Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 2, and let us look at beginning with verse 8. Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Let's pray. Our Father, uh, we thank you, God, so much for the word that you have given to us, that you speak to us each and every uh, Sunday. Lord, we thank you for the privilege that we have to, to have access to your word and to be able to reach it, read it each and every day. But Lord, as we come today, we pray for your spirit to speak to us as your people. Lord, as we hear this message that is that is so familiar and yet so profound. May we be overwhelmed, God, as we think about um, your great love for your people. Father, please open our ears, open our hearts uh, to the word that you have for us today. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, Christmas is often a season of joy. Uh, we know that. I mean, I think many of us have experienced that, some maybe over the last several days. And, and I do recognize, as I mentioned last week, that, that there are those whom the holiday seasons are a hard time. And they are painful sometimes in many ways. And I don't want to discount that in any way. But I do think, for the most part, Christmas is often a season of joy. If nothing else, just for a single day... We forget all the burdens and all the sorrows, the person that we have trouble with at work, maybe the financial difficulties we're having or, or the spout and the, the dispute that we had with a, with a neighbor, whatever it may be. We sort of forget all of those things and just enjoy the celebration of the Christmas day. We also forget about the sorrows of the world and of the wars and the bloodshed and the misery sort of reminds me of a story I'm sure you've, you've heard probably many times before, 
but of the Christmas truce of 1914, where during World War I on the Western Front of the war, the war had only been going on for a couple of months, and it was Christmas morning, and the fighting on Christmas Day just stopped. And soldiers from the German side and soldiers from the French and English side came out of their trenches and they sang Christmas carols together. They exchanged gifts of rations with one another. Um, they even showed pictures of their families. And uh, I, from what I understand, there was even just a pickup game of soccer that, that occurred. And uh, it was a time of peace just for a brief moment. You see, we rejoice and we're glad when Christmas arrives. There's just something about it that makes things very different. And when we greet one another, as many of you probably did this morning, what did you say? Merry Christmas! It's so good to, to see you. What a time of great joy. But the question is, is, is our joy something that is kindled in our hearts? Or is it simply something that comes as a result of the circumstances of the Christmas season? Is it the family? Is it the gifts? Is it the songs we sing that gives us joy? Or as one pastor put it so well, he says, Christmas is a time of happiness, but Christmas is not what makes us happy. Right? That's the very true, is it not? He went on and he said, and if your family is all gathered around you at Christmas time, the presence of all your loved ones gives you joy in your heart, that's great, but if that is the sole basis of your joy, then what happens is if one of those loved ones is taken away? Will your happiness remain? You see, true and lasting joy doesn't come because of the circumstances of our lives. I mean, it's good to have joyful circumstances. It's good to have pleasant circumstances in our lives. We ought not to... Uh, begrudge that we ought to be thankful for that but true lasting joy only comes from within it comes from a changed heart you see uh, joy is a lot like uh, the sea I heard someone use this illustration one time they said joy is like a sea on the storm uh, or excuse me a storm on the sea and you know at the surface of the ocean the, the waves are being tossed and the winds are blowing. And if there's any ships that are there, they're being tossed to and fro and maybe even damaged because of the storm. It's so severe. But if you go into the depths of the sea, down below the surface, into the heart of the sea, even though the storm is raging on the surface, it's just calm. It's quiet. It's peaceful. And that's what joy, Christian joy, is like. And so I want us to consider this idea of the Christmas joy as we read from Luke chapter 2, especially at verse 10. But I'm not going to just limit myself to verse 10. We're going to look at various verses. But I want to use verse 10 as sort of a jumping off point. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now where does true joy come from? What, what are the things that are necessary for us to have true, lasting joy? Well, let me suggest to you that the first thing is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. We read in verse 9 that an angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds at night. Now, that would be enough to make anyone fearful, would it not? If you just, all of a sudden, this heavenly being just shows up out of nowhere 
and just begins to proclaim to you this good news. I don't know about you, and I know that these shepherds were rugged outdoorsmen, but that took them by surprise, okay? I mean, it says that in the text. This angel just appears. Now, we don't know a lot about angels. The Bible does talk about angels, and it does describe them, but it doesn't describe their appearance very clearly. Um, but the best descriptions we have is the appearance of the angels at the resurrection. And we see that they were young men dressed in white garments. By the way, no wings are mentioned in the Bible. I don't know where we got the idea of angels having wings, but the, these angels were imposing figures. We do know that as we see different texts where angels appear, and people's response oftentimes to the angels is what? Wanting to bow and to worship them. And they would say, no, not me. I am just a creature. You know, uh, God only is worthy of worship. But they are very imposing figures. And it says that suddenly the angel appeared out of the darkness of the night. And it says, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Around them showed the radiance of God's glory. Now, what do we mean by that? You know, we, we, we hear that, the glory of the Lord, and, and we wonder what that is. But the reality is that the glory of the Lord is really nothing more than the manifestation or the appearance of the presence and the power of God. The, the, the appearance of the presence and the power of God. And, and whether this angel was Gabriel, who had appeared to Zacharias and to Mary, we don't know. It doesn't tell us. Luke doesn't tell us who the angel is. But we do know that it is an angel that came from the presence of God, that he reflected the inexpressible glory that radiates from the very presence of God. And the glory of the Lord shone all around them. I think for some of us that may... Uh, trigger in your memory the, the times when you've heard of Moses, where he went up on the mountain of the Lord, Mount Sinai, and he spent 40 days there with the Lord. And when he, he came down from the mountain, it said that his face shone with the glory of the Lord. And so this angel suddenly radiated into the darkness of the night a brightness of the divine glory of God. Now, another way to think of the glory of the Lord, glory has the idea of weight. And it is the radiation of the pure beauty of all the virtues of God. The, the, it's the pure beauty of all the virtues of God. His holiness, His righteousness, His perfect goodness, His justice, all of those things. So all of who God is comes to bear upon man. And so no wonder that verse 10 says that they were terrified. They were, as the text says, filled with great fear. Now, not just like partially filled, but filled, filled, not just with fear, but with great fear. And so here were these rugged outdoorsmen who were terrified as they stand in the presence of God. This fear was the awful dread sinful men experience when suddenly... They're brought face to face with the Holy One whose eyes are too pure to behold sin. And so we see here that they are terrified. Now, now isn't this the same fear that, that caused Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden to hide or attempt to hide from the face of God when they had sinned against Him? Isn't this the same fear 
that the, the Israelites had when Moses came out of the tabernacle and his face shone with the glory of the Lord as he had been in the presence of God. And they trembled so much that Moses, actually when he came out of the tabernacle, out of the tent of meeting, he had to put a veil over his face until the glory of the Lord dissipated and sort of went away because it was so overwhelming. Isn't this the same fear that the prophet Isaiah experienced when he saw the holiness of the Lord filling the temple? And Isaiah says, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You see, the glory of the Lord always judges us. The, the glory of the Lord lays us bare in His sight. And it exposes us in such a way that we become deeply conscious uh, of our sin. It's like we are naked before God. We are totally exposed before Him. It, it, it reveals to us in awful contrast what we must be and we're not and, and what we are but we must not be. And so we see that, that contrast, that duplicity in our hearts and in our nature and it causes us to feel that we are sort of an open book before God. That it opens up the deep and the dark recesses of our hearts. Those places that we work so hard to try to hide so that other people think that we are different than we actually are. We don't want people to see the, the, the sin and the wickedness of our own hearts, and so we seek to hide that. But God sees that. Before Him, we are that open book. It's, it's, it's in those places in our hearts that are hidden, thousands of sins and corruptions that loudly condemn us before God. It is this glory that pricks our conscience of our sin and convinces us that we ought to be condemned, that, that helps us to see that when we go and we stand before God, we deserve nothing but His judgment. And it gives us an apprehension of the final judgment when all will stand before God one day. That is, before we come to faith in Jesus Christ. There is an unworthiness in and of ourselves. Now, you may be here today, and I think most of you are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and, and for you, this conviction of sin began maybe even years ago when you first heard the gospel. And at that time, you thought a lot of yourselves, and you thought probably most likely little of God. You might have believed in God. You might have acknowledged that God exists. But still, God was probably much smaller in your mind than He really is in real life. And you were much bigger in your mind than you really are in real life because you didn't realize you were a sinner. But then you heard the gospel of grace. You heard the gospel that, that laid out for you to help you to see truly who God is and who you are. And now, while in Christ you are forgiven, you still experience the conviction of your sins. And we see our lives as an open book before God and we are moved to repent and to confess our sins to Him daily. If that is not your experience, maybe you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you're just a churchgoer. Maybe you're somebody who's just casually, you've thought about God, and maybe you say you believe in God, but maybe there's not that sense of understanding Him for who He truly is, and 
and you don't see, uh, it, you don't have the fear of the Lord. But the shepherds did that night. That was the fear of the shepherds in the presence of the glory of the Lord that beamed forth from this angel into the darkness of their sinful hearts. And so if we're going to have joy, true lasting joy, we must see God for who he is in all his glory. But also, um, it was to this fear that the angel speaks in verse 10 where he says, fear not. And that's the second thing we need to understand. It's not only the fear of God, but fearing not. Um, now, why did the angel say fear not? Well, because the angel brings news of great joy that will replace the fear of the sinner in the presence of God. Instead of great fear, brothers and sisters, there is great joy. It says in verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Now such was the brief but tremendously significant gospel that the angel proclaimed. It wasn't a big gospel presentation or anything, just a simple statement. But it was the good news that removes the fear and instills joy instead into the hearts of the shepherd. And we even read in this, our text, into the hearts of all the people who realize the misery of their sin before God. That the Lord of glory has come to us. That's good news. God has become in incarnate. He has come to us. Now, uh, imagine, if you would, that we ran down the hill with the shepherds into Bethlehem and we burst into the presence of Joseph and Mary and the baby. What would we be looking at? What would we be looking at? Well, first of all, we would be looking at a true baby. He's not an idea. He's not a religious experience. He is a person. He is a baby who does not show any marks that would distinguish him from any other infant that has ever been born. There's no halo around his head or anything like you sometimes see in drawings. He's just a common, everyday baby. And yet, this little baby is the second person of the Trinity. The one who has been God forever. This baby is God come in the flesh. And what a glorious thing that is. And you would expect that if the creator of all things came to earth, that there would be this great reception for him. But instead, we read in verse 7, there was no place for them in the end. Um, there was no room in Bethlehem. There was no room in the end. No room among the nations. No room for him in your heart, in my heart, as we are by nature. When we are born, we have no place for God, no room for God. Ever since mankind made room for the devil in the Garden of Eden, there's been no room for God. We read in John chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, about Christ, uh, the Word who became flesh. He's also spoken of as the light. And in John chapter 1, verse 9, it says, The true light, that's Jesus, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world didn't know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Paul picks up on this idea in Romans chapter 3. Romans 3, verse 10, Paul says, None is righteous. Nope. 
Not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. You see, because of sin, we have no room for God. But the good news of Christmas, brothers and sisters, is God came anyway. Whether we had room for Him or not, He came anyway. Not because there was a little room for Him in our hearts, but in spite of the fact that there was no place for Him, He came by the wonder of His almighty grace. Born to you this day in the city of David, a Savior. So why did He come? Well, not to make the world a better place, not to eliminate crime and misery from earth, not to do away with the ignorance and, and allow people to reform themselves, not to raise the standard of living in the world, not to make your life or my life more comfortable. Oftentimes, many of those things that we are seeking after, that's not why Jesus came. Actually, an angel appeared to Joseph before Jesus was born, and in Matthew 1.21, he told Joseph why Jesus was coming. It says, You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You see, Jesus came to solve the problem from which all other problems flow, and that is to save us from our sin. Do you ever think about that? That everything, every difficulty, every problem that you have in your life flows from sin in one way or another. It's either your sin, or it's someone else's sin, or maybe it's the way that sin has affected the creation and the storms and the awful things that we have that, that kill people. It's because of sin. You know, and sometimes we can spend all of our time trying to deal with the circumstances of sin that affects our lives, and we want to, to do that and try to make our lives better in that way, and yet we don't concern ourselves with the problem of sin that we have with God. To do so would be sort of like having a tree in your backyard that has diseased roots in the tree. And because that tree has diseased roots, the limbs on that tree are, are, are really brittle and they break off and they're gnarled and, and they're distorted in many ways. And, and it would be like as if you took that tree and you decided you were going to straighten that tree out, so you spend all of your time dealing with the limbs on that tree. And, and you do everything you can, but the limbs keep breaking off, and they keep getting gnarled, and you just can't fix it, and you're just frustrated. And you, you just wonder what's going on. Well, the problem is the roots. And until you deal with the roots, then it will not, uh, that tree will not be fixed. And oftentimes you have preachers, churches, who stand up and they proclaim another gospel. And they proclaim the gospel of prosperity, or they proclaim the gospel of, uh, uh, of all the things that God can do for you. And they are focusing upon the symptoms of sin, rather than sharing the gospel of how God has come to deal with the sin of our hearts. And to give us new lives in Jesus Christ. You see, sin means that we have placed ourselves in the place of God. 
And so we are by nature enemies of God. We, we always say no to God and His commands. This means we're, we are guilty. We can never satisfy the justice of God or pay our debt with Him. And so we are by nature children of wrath, objects of, of the righteous judgment of condemnation to everlasting death and desolation and hell. This also means that we are by nature inclined to hate God and each other, darkened in our understanding, loving the lie, corrupt in our hearts, perverse in our will, that we are completely incapable of doing that which is good. We're entirely inclined to all evil. It doesn't mean that we are as evil as we could be in every manifestation, in every appearance of our lives, but that sin has pervaded the entirety of our being. Every part of us is affected by sin. But Jesus has come to save his people from their sin. And his salvation is complete. You see, apart from redemption and deliverance from sin, there's no salvation. Because without forgiveness, our sin rises up against us and accuses us day and night of the guilt of our sin before the face of God. Our sin condemns us and makes us worthy of damnation, of death and hell. It is sin that is the power to keep us in bondage, that has dominion over us, that shackles us from within so that we love the lie. We contradict the Word of God. We follow after corruption and iniquity and move to destruction. But it is from that bondage of sin that we must be saved because our condition is one of hopelessness. And there's no way out. No matter how hard we try, we cannot atone for our sin. We cannot satisfy God's wrath and judgment for rebellion against Him. Even if we could, we couldn't break the shackles of corruption and darkness that holds us bound under the dominion of Satan and the devil. But He, the child in the manger, is our Savior. Brothers and sisters, let me, let me repeat this with all the emphasis that I can. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Jesus delivers from all the power of sin and death. He makes us heirs of all the glory of righteous life. He takes us out of darkness and translates us into His light. He redeems us from the guilt of sin by His perfect sacrifice. And He clothes us with eternal righteousness that makes us worthy of eternal glory. He finds us as enemies of God and He makes us friends. He finds us as slaves of the devil and He makes us servants of the Most High. He cuts the shackles of sins and He sets us into the perfect liberty of God's covenant. He comes into our death and He brings us with Him into the glorious life of His resurrection. He finds us in hell and lifts us into the highest glory of God's heavenly tabernacle. That is the good news. But to so many people, that news sounds odd because it, it is a language that humiliates us and brings us to our knees into dust and ashes. It forces us to see ourselves in a different light, one that's not complimentary, one that if we're honest with ourselves, it does truly describe the state of our hearts. When nobody else is looking, 
and we look into and we see the wickedness of our hearts, we realize that the Bible truly is shedding light that tells us who we really are. It's, it's one of sin, one of selfishness, one of self-promotion, one of self-pleasure. E even in our benevolence and, and the kind acts that we show to others, there's usually some part of ourself that's wrapped up into that, that seeks to please ourselves. But it is, is, it is in this humiliating language that we find joy, that we find great joy. But such joy only comes in the way of the broken heart. Such joy comes only in our shame, in our repentance, in our humiliation. Joy only um, after you have heard the word of God and received it. Because naturally speaking, the message of Christianity looks foolish. Uh, but the shepherds, they heard the message of the angel and they acted upon it. They received it. Yes, they realized he was the Savior. The great joy of his coming is that he is a Savior indeed. He actually comes to save. And all of the, us in this room need a Savior. And, and you may say, I, I have a Savior, Pastor Rick. It's Jesus. And I would say, then praise God. That is awesome. But you still need him to save you from your sin. Oftentimes, unfortunately, we think so unbiblically, and we only think of our sin in terms of past tense, that God saved us from our sin, and we now have a Savior. But the reality is, we need a Savior today. And we need a Savior in the future. And the Bible talks about such salvation, past, present, and future. He has saved you, He is saving you, and He will save you. Do you believe that? And maybe you're here this morning, and you've been walking with the Lord maybe for many years. And, and, and you had the joy of the Lord at the beginning of your salvation because you feared God. You saw Him as He was. And you have not feared him because you had heard the gospel and how you are saved. And there's a sense of brokenness, a sense of, of repentance over your sin. A sense of that open book where God, the Holy Spirit, probed your heart. But in recent years, in your battle with sin and the, the trials that have come in your life and the difficulties, you have stepped up. And you have pushed aside the Savior and you have tried to do these things in and of yourself. And that joy has disappeared. Because there's no longer the fear of God. There's no longer that trust upon Him. There's no longer that sense of understanding, God, I cannot do this. But instead, you've thought too highly of yourselves once again. And Jesus' word to you this morning is, Turn to me. I am your Savior. And I will save you. That sin that you've been wrestling with, that, that is seeking to, to overcome you, that you don't feel like you ever will master, turn to Him and He will save you. He is able to save. He is ordained to save, for He is Christ the Anointed. Jesus is the head of all of creation and therefore empowered in the name of God to destroy the power of the devil and all the dominion of darkness and to renew them into the eternal kingdom of heaven where the tabernacle of God will be with men. And Jesus saves to the end. He will never let you go. 
He saves us by the grace of His good Spirit, overcoming our temptation to say no when God tells us something. Instead, to change our hearts to say yes to His commands. And maybe that's where you're at this morning. Maybe you have fallen back into that saying no to God or being sort of apathetic towards His commands. And you're not necessarily hostile to God, but your heart is not given to say yes to God and to suppress your own desires and your will. You see, unto you is born a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. What glad tithings of everlasting joy, brothers and sisters. You see, at Christmas time, we, we set up our Christmas trees and we gather with family and we sing carols and we go to church, but these things are barren if, if we are thinking only of them or if we are thinking only of being in heaven one day and not asking ourselves, what difference does all this make in my life now? You see, the shepherds believe the message of God that the angel was sent to deliver. So much so that they acted upon that word. They didn't just hear it. They didn't just say, oh, I believe there is a baby. They went to see the baby. And when they saw the sign that the angel had proclaimed, their hearts were filled with joy. Oh, their, their world was still filled with things that caused them fear and worry. Rome was still in control of their country. They, as shepherds, was, were still part of the lower class of society. Nothing in the circumstances of their life changed, but God entered their world to pursue them, to save them from their sin and give them new hearts. Oh, the world they lived in was much like the storm of the sea, tossing and turning, rocking the world at the surface, but deep down in their hearts, there was an abiding joy and peace that only comes from being made right with God. It is this joy that caused them, as we see in verses 17 and 18, to go and to tell others about this Savior. And as the people heard it, they were amazed. But also in verse, 9, or verse 20, uh, it says that the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been done to them. You see, such joy is what leads us to witness. It is such joy, brothers and sisters, that compels us to worship God. Is that where you're at this morning? Do you see such abiding joy in your life? Is, is, is your life characterized by one of witness and worship? Or, has you, or have you forgotten the source of of your joy that it is what God has done to you for until you was born this day a savior amen let's bow our heads and just meditate upon God's word pray to him as he leads you this morning pray silently Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. Lord, how, how this world is starved for joy. 
and, and, and it seeks in its tinsel treasures and, and poisonous pleasures the joy that only you can give. Thank you that when you sent Jesus, you sent the only real and lasting joy. With great anticipation and, and hope, we joyfully receive Christ now. We, we have prepared our hearts and once again receive Him as our Savior from sin. Lord of our life, lover of our soul, closest friend, brother in fellowship of suffering is the very meaning and the purpose of our lives. We, Lord, come to you today and we praise you as Jesus, as our Savior. As we leave this place, oh God, we pray um, that we would leave with joy in our hearts to tell others of who you are. Lord, to live a life of worship, not only when we gather for a formal worship service or in our, our personal worship, but Lord, even in the way that we live our lives, that everything that we do, God, would be an expression of our worship to you. We pray in your name. Amen.